Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. with God. Well, this week and next week, we're actually uh, uh, talking about the two primary ways that we grow in our relationship with God. And one is through His Word. Next week, we'll be talking about how to learn how to pray without ceasing and have, you know, prayer life be an active part in our lives where Jesus is the first uh, response to us when we face difficulties in life and, and learning how to walk with Him. But this morning, we're talking about learning how to treasure God's Word. And so if you have a Bible with you, uh, turn to Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three, and uh, we will read together verse three or chapter three, verse fourteen through seventeen. Second Timothy chapter three. Did you guys know I'm gonna be a grandfather? I just thought I'd throw that out there right now. Like rainy days is no big deal anymore. Thank you, thank you. All right. As soon as Tammy walks around with that baby, they're gonna be like, "Oh, look at that sweet mom with that baby. Look at that old guy with her. That's what's gonna happen." How do we grow in our relationship to God? Paul wrote to Timothy and kind of uh, reiterated things that he had already known. And, he, and, he, and, and Paul had been writing to Timothy about the difficulties in this world, the, the attacks that the enemy would bring on the church. And, and so he, he, he recenters Timothy on what's foundational and what the church needs, what he needed as a young pastor, what the congregations needed that he was shepherding, what the elders that he was raising up and the people that he was pouring into, and what we as a church body need uh, more, than, more than ever is God's word. So Paul writing to Timothy, he says in verse 14, 2 Timothy 3, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood... You have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the person of God may be complete or competent or complete, equipped for every good work. Paul letting Timothy know about God's word and the importance of God's word in the life of the church and the life of a believer. Now, I as a, uh, became a Christian as an 18-year-old young man. And at 18, my wife, uh, then girlfriend, uh, we started serving in a little kids program at the church that we attended, People's Church, called the Honeybees. They were the two-year-olds on Wednesday night. And these little two-year-olds knew more about the Bible than I knew. They knew a song. Maybe you know it too. The B-I-B-L-E, right? Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. I threw a Bible down and stood on top of it and got in trouble. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe you knew that song. It's a truthful statement. God's word is what we build our lives upon. It's the foundation of our lives. It's the authority in our lives. And, and as an 18-year-old man, I remember like learning how to, you know, teaching these kids this song. And, you know, and Tam and I had the little honeybees. We had uh, little Jamie Baker. I don't know, some of you guys might have grown up with Jamie. Jamie is with the Lord now. She's uh, with Jesus in heaven. But Jamie was one of our two-year-olds in that honeybee class. And, uh, and these kids, we would teach them scripture. And I remember thinking, man, I need to know more. I was a new believer at the time. And, uh, and so at my church, our pastor uh, had made a challenge saying, 
It's impossible for you to fully know who God is without actually reading the, the entire Word of God. It's impossible for you to mature as a Christian without actually having a, a, a handle, a firm foundation on God's Word. And I remember as a young man just thinking, man, I'm going to start reading my Bible. And I'm going to start from the very beginning all the way to the maps, man. I was going to go all the way. Or the book of Revelation. They don't even have maps in their Bibles anymore. It's like, Siri, show me where Jerusalem is. And then you get this cool video. So that was probably the most important habit as a young Christian that I established in my life. Single-handedly, it was the most important decision I made by beginning to get into God's Word on a regular basis and, and more importantly, allowing it to get into my life. And it is still the most important thing ab about my life is that regular habit of getting into God's Word. And I know that you think like, well, you're a pastor. That's kind of part of the deal, isn't it? You've got to open the Bible, study it, right, and share. And yet that alone is not something that feeds, you know, feeds my soul alone. I've got to spend time in God's Word just like you do on a continuous, on a regular basis. It's been said that the Bible is our user guide for life. It's something that we should treasure in our lives. Maybe you've heard the, the, the story of, of rabbis when they get the little kids that are in Hebrew school and they're learning the Torah, which is the first five books of our Bible. And tradition says that the rabbis would take honey and put a dab of it on the, on the, on the copy of the Torah that they had so that the little kids would have this in their mind as they would lick that honey off the Torah, that they would have an association with the sweetness of God's word, the nutrition of God's word in their life, and the treasure that God's word. And they would, they would, they would then quote King David when, when he said in Psalm 19, speaking of God's commands, he says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And they would quote Psalm 119, 103, how sweet your words taste to me, they are sweeter than honey. And then they would say the statement, may the words of God be the most pleasurable and the most enjoyable thing you could ever comprehend. Instilling in those young kids that they would find it to nourish their souls and that it would guide them through life. And that's what happens when you and I make a commitment as a follower of Jesus, to actually begin to study God's word and allow his truth to saturate our souls, to renew our minds with his thinking, we find that to be true too. I would imagine that most of us in this room, if not everybody in this room, wants to be closer to God. And we know that the primary way you grow in relationship to God is through his word, listening to him, and spending time in prayer. But when we think about studying his word, it can become a little daunting, right? We don't know where to start. I mean, for me as a new Christian, it was just like, man, this, you know, this is a big, giant book, and there's no coloring sheets in mine. And so you'd hear about a verse, and you go look it up, and you hear another verse, and you go look it up. There's 1,189 chapters in the Bible. Like, where do you begin? So that can be overwhelming for us. Maybe you are like the average American that you just can't find the time for it. And yet, if you know who the bachelorette this year is, I bet you have a little time. I don't. I don't know who it is, just so you know. And I'm so proud that I can tell you that for the first time in the history of RVC. I'm just kidding. <laughs> or maybe it's just intimidating. But Paul says, Timothy, God's word is essential in your life. And he said, from childhood you've known the, the sacred writings. That's an interesting word that Paul used for childhood. It literally means like just from the womb, 
Before Timothy could read, before Timothy could write, his grandmother and his mother were instilling in him godly principles and God's word into their life. And Paul says, continue in what you've learned from your mom, your grandma, who faithfully taught you God's word, and certainly from the, from the uh, example that Paul himself had given Timothy, reminding him of the things and who you learned them from. We, th- we think about that statement, well, how do I grow as a Christian? How do I grow in knowing Jesus? It begins with becoming a person devoted to God's word. Listen, God wants to speak to us. God wants to give you wisdom. God wants you to know him personally. He wants to nourish your soul and my soul. And that comes through as you and I begin to do what Paul says, like to allow God's word to really richly uh, be a part of our lives, right? And studying the Bible, this is something that that we need to, to make sure we understand. Studying God's word is not about knowing more about God. It's actually the means of knowing God. It's how we actually know him personally. It's not just getting more facts about God. It's actually how we actually have this relationship with him. We need to see it as essential in our lives. In uh, Pastor Greg Laurie's book, uh, The Next Step in Following Jesus, he talked about how important God's word is in our life, dedicated a whole chapter to it. And he said this, it always stands out to me. He said, success or failure in the Christian life depends on how much of God's word we get into our hearts and minds on a regular basis and how obedient we are to it. Your success of like walking with Jesus, growing towards spiritual maturity, having victory over struggles in your life, my life, is connected to your relationship to God and his word, allowing it into your heart and life and how obedient you are and how obedient I am to it. We see in the beginning of the church, you know, we build, we try to build our churches on very basic, simple principles. You know, we look back at the, old, or the, the early days of the early church and we see in the book of Acts, there's some very basic principles that they structured their gatherings upon. And it tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that as the church had gathered, 3,000 had become believers on the day of Pentecost, and then they begin to meet. They begin to meet in homes. They begin to meet in corners of the temple. They begin to meet in the open airways. And this is what it says in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They broke bread together. They prayed together. They worshiped together. God used them to evangelize the community. But one foundation of the church was to devote themselves to the teaching of God's word and learning about who God is and how to live for him and all of that. That word literally means devoted to continue to do something with great effort. And they did it daily, learning together in homes, the temple. What God has to say. When you think about the Bible, you go, man, what, well, what is the Bible? How is this thing put together? Well, the Bible is really just, it means little books, right? The, the Bible is made up of 66 books books that has broken it with the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was written over a 1,400-year period of time, over 40 authors, and it was all God's Word given to us. The, 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 the whole theme of God's Word is about Jesus and the story of redemption. The Pharisees were a group of people that You know, they had a a high knowledge of the Bible, by the way. Again, a high knowledge of the Bible does not mean you have a relationship with God. You know who quoted a lot of scripture? Hitler. Uh, Is that a life that we'd want to, like, devote our life and say, like, well, I'm trying to, like, mimic the life of Hitler, right? Never say that. 
Don't quote me. I didn't just say that. They say, oh my gosh, Pastor Gordon said some crazy stuff on Sunday. Knowing the Bible, the Pharisees knew a lot of God's word. The devil knows a lot of God's word. Went to Jesus in the desert to tempt him and began to quote scripture to him. Like, what's going on? You know scripture, yeah. Jesus told the Pharisees, guys, in John chapter 5, verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. All of God's word is moving us towards the subject of Jesus Christ and redemption through him by faith. The Old Testament we read, and maybe you started in January. By the way, we have a two-year reading plan that you can jump on at any time. That It's on our website, under resources. It's also out at our Connection Center. And you can grab one of those and just begin to journey. I love to see on Instagram people popping things up, you know, like checking off their boxes, you know, and I put fire so that I could, you know, hey, man, this is awesome. I love seeing what God is doing in your life. But the beginning of the Old Testament is, is the beginnings, really. The book of Genesis, the beginnings. And it, begin, it talks about the creation of the world. talks about the fall of humanity when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and, and sin entering the world. And yet there was already set in motion a plan of redemption. And then you read along through the Old Testament and you see that there was a man that was raised up named Abraham. And that man had a promise given to him. And, and, and Abraham believed God and he became the measure of how you and I have salvation by faith. Abraham believed God gave him and said, you have righteousness because of that faith. He becomes the model, right? Father Abraham, right? Had many sons. Many sons had father. Some of you grew up in church. I'm trying to get that out of your mind. That was like the Christian hokey pokey in church, wasn't it? I mean, if we're honest. I went to Roller Town. I'm like going, this sounds like Father Abraham. Do you guys even know what I'm talking about right now? Like Father Abraham had many sons and many sons have Father Abraham and I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And then it's like right arm. I'm like, that's the hokey pokey part, okay? Ripping things off from Roller Town. Abraham was given a promise. And then that promise was through his son Isaac. And then that promise was through his son Jacob. You start reading through the Bible. Jacob becomes the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is a subject matter because a Messiah is promised, Jesus, to come through that uh, nation. And so other nations start peeling off from the story and the narrative of the Old Testament, not because God doesn't care about them, but they're not important to the story of redemption. And then we find that the tribe of Judah is the, the tribe that God had chosen to bring about the Messiah. Then we see the, line, the, the, the family line of King David. And you start reading through your Bible and you start realizing like, man, Satan wants to kill David and all his little kids because the promise of a Messiah is coming. That's when you get to Matthew and you get to the Gospel of Luke and it starts talking about all these people that had children. You're like going, why do we need to know that? Well, because it's linked to the promise of a Messiah. The New Testament is about the subject of that Messiah, Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, the church's growth, how to live for him, we read in the letters, and then it, it, it ends with the revelation of Jesus, how he will come and he will set up his kingdom here on planet earth. It's all about Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said to Timothy in verse 16 of our, of our passage I read earlier, that all scripture is inspired by God. It literally means God breathed. Every word, Paul told Timothy. The totality of the Bible is God-breathed. It does not contain the words of God, your Bible. It is the very word of God. And because it's God's word, there's two other theological terms that get thrown around. It's inerrant. It means it's without error. 
in the original manuscripts, and that it is infallible. It, le- it means that it will not lead you into error ever in your life. It's unlike any other book. It's a living book. Paul writes to the, to the Hebrews, he says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is alive and powerful. Notice this. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. God's word is alive. It never stops speaking to us, giving us insight into our lives. Pastor Greg Laurie said this about God's word. God's word will always have something new and life-changing to show you. I read another quote this week about the kind of the, um, well, I'm a seasoned Christian. I've been in, oh, I've been in church my whole life. I've heard that story. I've heard that story. I've heard that story. One of the greatest killers of Bible study in your life is the statement, I already know that. Think about that. Like, well, I've been in church for a long time. I already know that. I already know that. I already know that. And yet, God's word's alive and always speaking to us. So let's talk about this this morning. Why we should study the Bible. Why you should have God's word in your life. Why we should have it as a church family. Why we should build our kind of fellowship upon the word of God. The value of God's word, the benefits of God's word, the promises of God's word. A lot of people think that God's word is outdated. You talk to friends and stuff, like, oh my gosh, you're believing this like, book is written thousands of years ago, and what does it have to do with your life? Well, it answers some, a lot of questions. And by the way, it's a bestseller. You know that there's over 100 million copies of God's Word given out or sold every single year? Think about that. Bestseller of all time. It answers questions like this. Is there a God, and who is he? Does he care for me? Is it possible to live forever? Is there something called heaven? Is there something called hell? Does God listen to me when I pray? How can I pray to him? How can I connect with him? And what do I do with my life? Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 probably address the subject matter of 90% of our prayer requests. How to get married. How to stay married. Uh, How to have kids. It doesn't talk about that. Song of Solomon talks about that. But how to raise those kids and how to be a kid yourself. How about being an employer? How many of y'all have a job here today? There you go. You know, Ephesians chapter 6 talks about how you should interact with your boss and how you should actually be a boss. God's word has a lot to say to you and I about our lives. And if we want to grow as Christians, we've got to study God's word. So there's so many promises to God, uh, from God about his word. And one of them is from Paul when he wrote to Timothy, the passage we read, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. This is why we should study God's word. One, it leads us to salvation. As Paul said, you have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood. They've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Without the Bible, you and I might have this knowledge of, like, there's a creator. And in order for me to appease him, I probably have to do a lot of good things in life. See, that was my answer when somebody asked me, hey, if you were to die, do you know that you're going to go to heaven? My answer was, yes, I'm going to go to heaven, but it was based on some false things. It was based on that I thought I was living a pretty decent life. And so if, God, if, you know, if this is going to be graded on a curve, I'm doing better than some of my other friends were doing. You know what I'm saying? 
But that's not what we learn in the Bible. What we learn in the Bible is that we learn, we learn first of all, the gospel. The good news, it's been called. But with the good news is also bad news, is that I have broken God's commands. We look at the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Let's get down to the easy ones to fail on. Thou shalt not lie. We thought about calling RVC Liars Christian Fellowship. Because we've all broken God's commands. If not based on what he says, thou shalt not kill, we've broken the spirit of that law, and let, uh, the letter of that law, and the spirit of that law to have hate in our heart for another human being. It's really the, the heart's position of murder. So the, the good news has some bad news. I've broken God's commands. We learned that from Scripture. We learned the gospel that God sent his one and only son to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. That he is the Savior who, who went before us. We're about to celebrate communion this morning. The substitutionary death of Christ as he went to the cross for me. We learn in God's word that it's faith that saves us and not living a good life. Not trying harder or trying to be good in this life. It does not save us. We learn that from God's word. How, how, how a person is saved. A person hears God's truth. And that's what leads us to salvation. Knowing God's word, reading, reading God's word, hearing that verse, John 3, 16, is enough of God's truth to get into a soul for them to understand that God loves them and that by simply believing in him is enough to bring a person to a saving relationship with God. I read a story of a, a pastor, a pastor in England, a super cool guy. He had a roommate that was exploring Christianity and he's like, no, don't ruin this relationship by becoming a Christian. So he's kind of saying like, no, being a Christian is lame and dumb and gee, why would you believe this stuff? And you know, basically you, know, you should be an atheist. Well, his roommate came back and said, hey, I became a Christian, so did my girlfriend. He's like, what? Oh my gosh. It just blew him away. So that night, he basically picked up a Bible, the New Testament, and began to read it so he could actually show him how lame it was. And that night he went through the Gospel of Matthew, he went, read through Mark, he read through Luke, he got halfway through John, went to sleep, woke up the next day, began to continue to read through the New Testament. And that experience, he discovered life in Jesus Christ. And he actually himself committed his life to Jesus Christ. And God's used him miraculously, you know, over in England and uh, brought many, many people to Jesus Christ through the ministry of his church. It makes us wise to salvation. Why we should give God's word to our kids is so that they would actually have an understanding of this is who Jesus is and this is what it means to be a, a follower of his. It also, according to Paul, it makes us spiritually mature and equips us for the life that he calls us to. Paul says, I'll read it in another version, all scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true or useful for doctrine or profitable for teaching. You and I learn the truth about who God is, this world, and all the promises that he has for us. It also, he says, it makes us realize what is wrong in our lives. It rebukes us. God's word has a way of actually bringing us to this understanding of like, this is what is wrong with your life. Sometimes God's word is almost like a mirror. You look and you're like, oh, I'm so angry at everybody. And you read God's word and you're like, man, you're the problem, right? Like, everyone's going to be like, hey, honey, you should read the Bible today. I circle some verses that you might want to take a look at. No, don't do that. Get, get God's word for yourself. 
It makes us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do good or to do every good work. I love what Howard Hendricks, a pastor and a teacher from Dallas Theological Seminary, said. The Bible was written not to satisfy your curiosity, but to help you conform into Christ's image. Not to make you a smarter sinner, but to make you like the Savior. Not to fill your head with a collection of biblical facts, but to transform your life. That's what God's word is, is there to do. Leads us to salvation. This is what's true about Jesus. I am a sinner. I need, I'm in need of salvation. As I study it it, it, it corrects my life. It shows me what's kind of out of place in my relationship with God and what needs to change in my life. It shows me what's right, and it leads me on that path. How to live right. How to confess and, 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 and run away from sin, right? Giving me the hope of heaven. And it builds up our lives. It makes us mature so that we are useful for all that God would have us to be. That's what God's word does in our lives. Here's something else we find uh, in God's word. That it nourishes our souls. We read in 1 Peter 2, verse 2. That it gives us spiritual nutrition. Peter says, like a newborn infant, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. With any newborns here today, like I'm not asking for the newborn to speak up. Do you have a newborn in your family, right? You remember having newborns, anybody? Do you remember how exhausting it was? <laughs> like at 2 a.m.? You didn't read baby-wise either, but 2 a.m., the baby woke up and said, hey, man, guess what? I'm going to get some milk one way or another. <laughs> Neighbors from around the corner are like, bro, let me just, here's some, here's some stuff. Can I just please feed your baby? <laughs> I need to get some sleep. Man, that newborn baby's just like, hey, up and at him, man. I'm a growing entity. I'm a growing human. I need milk. And isn't it interesting Peter would use that model he must have had a colicky baby, right? Do you think that might have happened? And Peter's like, like a, a newborn infant. Long for God's word because it's the thing that you need in your life to help you grow. Leads us to salvation, equips you or brings you to maturity. And your soul, my friend, it's not us weekly that we need. It's not some other form of just entertainment. You know what I mean? Scrolling through memes on Instagram is not going to feed your soul. And by the way, neither will Christian books. A Christian book is not a substitute for the Bible. Like, oh, I'm going to not read the Bible now because I'm going to read a Christian book. Don't ever do that. Unless I ever write a Christian book, then you go hand in hand. It's God's word that, that, that nourishes our souls. Here's a great thought and question to ask yourself today. What's your appetite for the word of God today? You know, when, when you have a child that can't talk yet, that's so frustrating. It's like, dude, just tell me what's wrong. We all want to go to bed. Your doctor will say, how is your baby eating? My baby doesn't have a lot of you know, appetite right now. That's a sign that your child is unhealthy. It's also a sign for a Christian's life. My appetite for the word of God, it begins to sort of shrink. I'm allowing some other toxic things in my life. 
And that's a sure way to actually get me away from God's truth where I'm not actually allowing it to sort of soak in my soul. Early on in my days working with young people, I remember uh, doing a, uh, one of my first sermons. I've gotten a lot better. But I brought up a collage of a bunch of bodybuilders that I had on my wall. A whole other subject matter. You ought, maybe you could pray for me. But in the middle of it was this, you know, this is like a collage I cut out that my girlfriend, wife, uh, at the time, she, you know, like all these bodybuilders that I looked up to and whatever. And I brought one of them, a guy named Gary Stridham. He's this big South African, you know, pro professional bodybuilder. And through connections of my brother and just knowing who he was and stuff, I'm like, do you know how much this guy eats? And it was just like, I don't think this is church. What are you doing right now? I'm like, stick with me. It's going to get better. And you're probably saying the same thing right now. I was like, this guy eats 16 chicken breasts a day. Like probably 40 tubs of oatmeal. You know what I mean? Just constantly feeding his body. You know, and everyone's just like going, okay, bodybuilding is strange. I don't know what you're talking about right now. I'm like, and there's such a correlation, though, to your spiritual life and your physical life. How do you get stronger? You go to the gym, right? You have some, uh, don't have a frappuccino, right? You have a protein shake, right? You start working out, you start eating better, you start living a healthier life, your physical body gets stronger. It's the same way spiritually. You start feeding your soul. You start allowing God's word in your life. And you're like, man, I want to become a 300-pound spiritual person, you know, and like with muscle, muscle-bound, massive monster. That was the takeaway 30 years ago. I don't think they got it. You obviously didn't either, but... I know it's weird, but you got to consume. you got to consume God's truth if you want to grow. Consuming God's word. There's a great uh, man of God from England back in the 1800s, George Mueller. And he actually, God used him to save and rescue kids on the streets during that time period. And he just created so many orphanages for them to actually come and learn God's word and have meals and, and he said something interesting, very busy human being, by the way. And he said something interesting in a book I read. He said, I count it a lost day if I haven't had a good time over God's word. He, as a, as a new Christian, decided and determined that he was going to read God's word four times a year at least. And he said it was what he counted as the number one thing that led him to have what he described as happy service and following Jesus, like how he was just joyful in his obedience to serve the Lord. He said it was because of God's word. Here's another promise. God's word guides us. Psalm 119, verse 105, that God uses his word to, to lead us through life. He says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. God's word will show you as you make your way through life. By the way, there will be warning labels. Stay away from this. You ever seen that little warning label on the, you know, on the air, air, air conditioner, <laughs> the opposite, the uh, hair dryer? It's like 40 different uh, tags, you know what I mean? Like as long as the CVS, you know, receipt you get. Like what is that all about? That's a whole different sermon we have to get on. And it's like, don't throw this in a bathtub. <laughs> it's like, oh, you thought about it, didn't you? Like, what would happen? <laughs> well, especially when you're kids, like, hey, who's going to jump in? Don't throw this in the water. You will die. Don't do this. There's a lot of warning labels in God's word. Stay away from this. If you want to have a happy, joyful life, don't go down this path. 
Stick to the path of walking with Jesus. We also learn things, instructions too, how to be married, how to raise kids, how to have healthy relationships with other human beings. And there's encouragement for their journey. As we see the men and women who live for Jesus and live for God in the Old Testament, you go, man, I want to emulate their life. Look at the choices that they're making. Look at the mistakes that they have made. And you learn from them. God's word guides us. It also gives us victory over sin. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It was D.L. Moody who wrote in the back of his Bible and he wrote these words, this book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. It's very true. It's a verse of scripture that you and I need when we're facing temptation. You know when Jesus was tempted in the desert and Satan came to him and said, listen, I know that you're hungry now. Turn this like stone into a piece of bread. Jesus didn't get, hold up, hold up, hold up. And he didn't have a t-shirt that said, not today, Satan. That's, it might look cool on your Instagram page, but it ain't, it's nothing going to give you victory over sin. It's a verse that you need. You have something written down. You understand this is my go-to verse. When Satan tempts you to not trust God, you say, God, I'm going to trust in you with all of my heart. Proverbs 3, verse 6. So we know why we should study God's word, the, the, the benefit of it. How do we grow in our knowledge of God's word? Simple, basic stuff. Get the right tools. If you don't have a Bible today, we have Bibles outside, and they, you take one. Take a Bible, okay? Get a Bible in your hands. There are resources. Uh, BibleGateway.com is a fantastic free website where you can, like, Look up scriptures, and there's Bible studies you can do and commentaries you can get. There's another one called EnduringWord.com. It's something that I reference frequently as I'm studying for Sunday mornings. Get a study Bible. Something else we have at our Connection Center, we give them away free. It's a copy of the the, um, Start to Follow Jesus book, and it takes you kind of through the basics of Christianity, the Bible, the church, prayer, dealing with temptation, and you, and you begin to just go on a weekly journey, chapter by chapter, and you start to learn how to study the Bible. Very important. And a journal is something great to have. Ever read something in the Bible like, I have no idea what that means? It happens to me all the time. I call Brad Bell. Like, Brad, what's up with this? What do you think? You write it down in a journal. And you say, Lord, I don't understand this right now. You get into praying. It's crazy how the Holy Spirit will, like, someone will be talking about a verse, you'll be in a church service, you'll listen to the radio, and all of a sudden you'll have this illumination. Oh, this is what God was saying here. So you get the right tools. Here's the second thing. You commit time to getting into God's word. Time is something that you need, and you've got to guard that time. There's a thousand things that compete with our time. You young people, life doesn't get easier Right now, you have the most available time to actually begin to get in the habit of reading God's word. That's why when I was a high school pastor, I'm like, listen, do it now. Because, man, when you start having kids and having jobs, you'll be like, man, I don't even have time to take a shower. I haven't washed my hair in three weeks. Come on, ladies. Can I... Don't raise your hand. That helps it grow, by the way. I'm just letting you know. But that's still funky. We all get 24 hours a day, but you've got to spend it on things that have great value. What's the most important thing for you? Getting to know God. And like any relationship that's important, you've got to find time to connect and find new ways to connect and grow in your intimacy with God. As your life begins to shift and change and time and responsibilities come, you've got to shift and change with it to allow God's word to be a part of your life. So you have to have time in God's word. You've got to, like, 
get in this, your, your head like, where am I going to meet with God, right? Getting the right tools, committing time, finding a place. Where are you going to meet with Jesus? You have to know where you're going to meet. Is your backyard the safest, quietest place for you? It might be your bathroom if you're a young mom. You're like, this is my only place to escape. Get some Calgon in your Bible and start growing in, in his word. Maybe it's lunchtime at a coffee shop. Maybe it's early mornings at work, getting there before everyone else. And this is your time to start getting into God's word. Maybe it's at night at your kitchen table. But where do you plan on meeting with God? And then getting a plan. This is something so important. You've seen those gym fail videos where someone just goes in the gym, they have no idea what they're doing, all of a sudden like that cable pulley just like throws them across the room. It's like bang, bang, bang. I, I was going to get you a video, but we're running short on time. The idea is that you've got to go in there, you have to have a plan. This is why I'm an advocate. You want to start working out, man, go get a trainer. Spend some money investing in the only body you get, right? But the same thing with your Bible, like, oh, I don't know what to read. I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this. Oh, my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing. You get a plan. We, 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 we have plans outside. We encourage you to get on uversion.com. I sent this week. I mentioned last week there was a reading plan for seven days dealing with fear. I shared a couple weeks back that, that, that probably in the last year and a half, I've experienced more fear in my life than probably my entire life. And so I looked up on version and like, man, what, what are some verses on fear? Just went through that reading plan. So you get a plan for your life. It might be to read through the New Testament this year. It might be you want to spend 21 days getting to know the book of John. There's 21 chapters. So you spend a, a day each, you know, each day subsequently, chapter one, day one. It might be from the, uh, by the way, in your bulletin and outside, there's a little guide to help you understand, like, what do I do when I'm reading the Bible? You read God's word. You discover what it says, and it has, you know, some more questions for you to ask, which is awesome. Very helpful tools. You reflect on what God has said, right? What did you just read? Asking God to give you understanding. And then the most important is you respond. You say, God, so how am I going to respond to this? Is there a sin mentioned that I need to confess? Does it point out any error in my attitude or actions? What changes do I need to make? Is there a promise for me to hold on to and say, God, I'm going to trust you for this? There's a verse, Psalm 37, verse 4. Uh, in my Bible, I've got my kids' names, and now I have Baby Shark. That's our grandbaby's name at this point. And, uh, and I'm praying Psalm 37, 4, where David says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I know the desires of my kids' hearts might be a little crazy, and their dad, their mom. Uh, it might be things that are maybe just like get a little sideways. They say, Lord, help us to delight ourselves in you. You know what I mean? That's a response. God, I want to delight myself in you. You ask the question, so what? What is it asking me to do? You've you got to be willing to change. Again, things I've mentioned, sin to confess. And then the last is be consistent. Build a habit of it. Build a habit of reading God's word. I promise you that today's message, very practical, exposing us very minimally to like all that God's word says about itself. But if you would actually say, today's the day that I'm going to actually do, this is the homework. I'm going to be a man, I'm going to be a woman who allows God's word to saturate my soul. It might be five minutes. This isn't like a, so if you don't have an hour and a half, well, then you're not on the varsity Christian team that we have going here. Man, just expose your soul to God's truth. 
Do it consistently. It'd be better that you actually spend three to five minutes in God's Word daily than 45 minutes once a week. And you allow God to start getting into your life. I promise you, that will be the one habit. If you're, if you're serious, it'll be the one habit that actually is a catalyst to changing your entire life. Because in the end, you'll have a closeness with God that you can't have any other way except allowing him to speak, like get lots of at-bats with the Lord. I know that sounds sacrilegious, but just where God's word is in your life consistently, consistently, and it will be the one thing that changes your life. Let God's word, the Bible, our user guide for life, be the treasure to you. Allow it to nourish your soul and guide your life. The Psalm 119, 103 says, how sweet your words are that taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. May your venture into God's word this week, my friends, be sweet as honey to your soul. I love God's word because in God's word, we realize how much God loves us, how much he cares for us. If it's one verse, John 3, 16, it might, it, it might be the greatest verse in the entire Bible because it sums up what the whole Bible is speaking to us about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. We learn that Jesus loves us from God's word, that he died for us, that he wants us to know him, that our sin separates us from him, that we would perish apart from him, and that we cannot save ourselves through our works. We can only be saved by believing in him. Again, that greatest verse, John 3, 16. Another one, Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Today, my friends, as we, as we make that kind of internal commitment, God, I want to know you, I want to pursue you, God, I want your word to be a part of my life. We're getting ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to take some juice that represents the, the blood of Jesus that was shed for the sins of the world on the cross. We're going to take this bread, this little piece of bread, which Jesus said <clears throat> is my body, which is broken for you. He says, when you eat this meal, you do it in remembrance of me. All pointing us to a God who loved us, who willingly stepped out of heaven so that he could take the sin that, you're, that, that, that you've committed, the sin that I've committed, the wrath that your sin deserves, the wrath that my sins deserves, and Jesus took it all on the cross as a substitute so that you and I could be saved. Maybe you're with us this morning and we're talking about having a relationship with God and in your mind you're like, man, I thought I had to be like better for God to accept me. No, you can't be better enough. You, there's nothing you can do to allow God to accept you because you have broken God's commands and so have I. And the Bible says that, that, it, it's, it's, that the humans are not saved by the keeping of the law. It's through the law. It's through God's word. It's through the Ten Commandments that we realize that we've broken his law, that we need a savior. And that whoever would believe in him would not perish. If you would make that decision to say, God, I, I'm going to choose to believe in you. I'm going to turn away from my sin. I'm going to turn away from walking away from you, God. And I'm going to direct my life towards you. I want to I receive your salvation into my heart. Maybe you're here this morning and that's where you're at. You need God in your life. You need forgiveness. You need your sins removed. That's how you begin a relationship with God. That's how it starts is saying, God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for me. And God, I want you to come into my life. And right where you're sitting, you can tell God as we begin worship this morning, you can say, God, I want you in my life. I want my sins forgiven. I want to begin a relationship with him today. Would you bow with me now? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your love and your grace. And God,